everybody and welcome to ornate stairwells um <laughs> totally <laughs> are you even drunk this time <laughs> no i'm not no what ha- okay so what happened was 
that I was editing some podcasts recently, and I noticed that when I say hi, everybody, at the start of a podcast, I hit the H so hard, it becomes a plosive. And so I was like, oh, let me do another run at that where I don't do that, where I don't just like spike the microphone is the very first thing that I do in the podcast. But then... So I did the second take, but I, was, I had ruined my rhythm at that point, and so I didn't know what I was supposed to say next, which is that this is Ornate Stairwells, a film podcast. I'm Autumn, and I'm joined by Nia. Hi, I'm Neve. Um... All of that's staying in. <laughs> Every bit of it. I I totally expected that it would. I'm just sending you a tweet right now. This is just totally the vibe of... <laughs> Anyway, hi. Hi, we watched everybody. watched a movie. Hi, everybody. Before we talk about the movie we watched this week, did you watch any movies in the time between episodes? Um, I didn't. I well, so you I'm probably gonna start watching more movies soon. Um, but yeah, I I have a toddler, so like watching movies with you is the main time I watch movies right now. <laughs> yeah. Um. I've been watching movies a little bit more between episodes just because, like, um, I get off work at 10 and Nora goes to bed at, like, 10.30-ish. Um, and I don't want to go to bed yet, and I've needed something to do with that time. Uh, and so I've just been watching a couple movies. Um, I'm mostly introducing this segment to the podcast because uh, Joe asked me to talk about Clueless. That movie's incredible. I watched that yesterday. I watched... Half of it Monday and half of it yesterday, I think. Um, that movie's fucking great. Um, um, I had... I had three bullet points, and I can only remember one of them. Um, well, the, the third one was just ranking the stairwells. The third one is just ranking the stairwells. One of them... So, okay... This is a podcast about film aesthetics, as, pe- as people know. Um, and, like, the one moment where I really wished... There's a lot of really cool aesthetic stuff. Oh, oh I remembered everything I was going to say. I remembered everything I was going to say. So, first thing about Clueless, and I don't think this is going to be, like, any shock to anybody who's seen the film or has heard the film talked about. Um, like, the costuming in that movie is just incredible. Um, like, both in the sense that, like... It's just all these, like, high fashion 90s looks um, just being pulled off effortlessly as even though they look fucking absurd half the time. Like, the yellow plaid at the start of that movie is bananas, no pun intended. But, um, like, it works. It really works. And I like that I like how much the costuming conveys about character um and it's like i don't know i'm glad i watched that movie now um at the moment i am at in my life because like um when when i was younger i would watch movie and i would not get anything out of what clothes people were wearing and now i watch movies and i'm like very tuned into like okay this person is wearing this which is supposed to communicate this about them in the scene and I'm glad that the movie kind of rewards people who watch for that sort of shit. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
Definitely. Um, the other thing I was going to say, this is like the most, this was the moment that I was like wishing we were podcasting about it because I picked up on the most dumb film nerdy thing that I wanted to gush about for a second, which is that in the big, like, I won't say the climax, but it is leading to the climax, climactic scene. The big scene where um, Ty says, um, you're a virgin who can't drive. Um, they just do so much good stuff with like shot reverse shot in that scene where like in the, in the moments where Ty and, um, Cher are like connecting and like, you know, really having a good conversation. Like they shoot the shot reverse shot over the shoulder. But at the moment that they like, they're like not telling each other the truth and not like, uh, understanding each other and, not understanding themselves you get this like tighter focus where you can't see the other person and you get like every time they shoot ty who's like feeling all this young love um you get like her against a really like colorful wall and every time it cuts back to share and she's like feeling really down and depressed in this moment like the the like the light on her face is a little more gray and everything behind her is a little more gray and it's the sort of stuff that either doesn't happen in movies or when it does happen in movies, they color grade the shit out of it and are super fucking obvious. And this movie yeah. just like very, very, very quietly does that. And it works so well. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was just the a, you go. It's you been go. a while since I've seen Clueless. So I, I don't have like. Part of me wishes that I would have seen it because I feel like this is the kind of movie that I would also get more out of because I'm pretty sure the last time I saw Clueless, I thought I was a boy. Um, And I just feel like Clueless is a movie that if you're like deep in the gender feelings thinking you're a boy when you're not, um, you're probably not going to get the full like benefit of watching it. You're not going to really appreciate it (laughs) Mm because you're going to be like too wrapped up on like, oh, this is a girl shit and I'm not supposed to like that. Um, Yeah. I feel like cis men would probably enjoy that movie more than I would have if I were 16 and watching it and feeling all this like gender shit that I couldn't express, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but the one thing I do want to bring up, because I know Paul Rudd is in it, and this is just an excuse for me to, to talk about something, which is my friend Kitty has a taxonomy of cat boys. Um, and I'm just going to quick go through the three archetypes because I think they're useful. Uh, so little cat never makes eye contact, would rather be gaming, and vanishes from this ethereal plane the second they're off frame. Uh, Big Cat is in everyone's everything, sleeping on your keyboard right now, and still doing JoJo poses on TikTok. And then Cheshire Cat, this is the one that I think applies to to Clueless here, um, has that Paul Rudd side smile. (laughs) It's probably a Bond henchman, and uh, also somehow Kitty has the most merch of these Catboys because he's a mess. Um... But I just want to—I just want to bring it up because I think it's been a while since I've seen it, but I vaguely remember Paul Rudd being hot in it. <laughs> oh, he's gorgeous! Oh my god, he looks beautiful in this movie. Also, um, you know, so I knew that Paul Rudd was a Kansas boy, and I knew that uh, he went to KU like I did. But he's just wearing a KU hat in like four different scenes in this movie, and I flipped my shit. <laughs> <laughs> It's the um, dumbest thing to get excited about. It doesn't make any sense in the fiction for him to be wearing that, but he's wearing it, 
and I appreciate that about him. Yeah. I like I googled uh Paul Rudd clueless and literally the first image here is just Paul Rudd side smile. Um so yeah, great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do we do we actually one. have questions about clueless or did Joe just write in to say uh Juo did write in an email about it but or about something i don't, I don't remember what what he sent um i will check that uh after we talk about rebels of the neon god because i think some of it ties into neon god anyway okay. the the clueless question we did get was from m in the discord um m is the only person allowed to ask us questions in the discord literally the yeah. only person on planet earth allowed to do that <laughs> um all the rest of you have to email us all the Um, rest of you have to email us because frankly like let's just be real here m is my best friend and so when they ask me a question in the discord i'm going to remember it the rest of you are not my best friend and so when you ask me a question in the discord i'm not going to remember it i'm sorry that's just what it is yeah, I would say if you follow my locked account, don't ask me in the Discord, but you could like tweet at me or like DM me on locked, and then I will probably answer it because like I know you that well. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think that's like that's my cutoff, and it's like literally you have to be following my locked account and mm-hmm. communicating with me on there or through Line. Um, if you message me online, if you have my Line, for sure I will answer it, whether or not you email. Um, I check line more than I check my email. <laughs> <laughs> but M's question was just, um, what, what is the, uh, how would I rate the stairwell in Clueless? Um, and so I added a little, um, if you go to export odd.io slash stairwell quality, I just added a little <laughs> column of miscellaneous movies. Um, uh, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna put stairwells in here when I notice them in movies and grade them. Uh, so, and I'll, if we discuss it in an episode, I'll put it, an episode number. So, like, I've got here Clueless, episode four. Uh, that's an A. There's, like, one, it's a beautiful stairwell. Two, it's prominently featured. You open the front door of, like, the main set, like, the house that, um, Cher and, uh, other guy is living in. Paul Rudd is living in. You, like, you open the door, and there's this huge, beautiful stairwell. And, like, so many great scenes take place on the in the stairwell. The climax of the movie takes place on the stairwell. Uh, you get people going up, you get people going down, you get people like somebody standing at the top talking to somebody at the bottom. You get everything. The whole everything you could want out of a stairwell. They really put it to good use. So I'm gonna give it an A. Um, still, I think Pale Flower is the only S rank, but um, you know, yeah. Pale Flower uh, was so good that it is the the like default. Like if you're listening to this on like Apple Podcasts, it won't show you the unique episode art. You're just gonna see Pale Flower every time. <laughs> um. Um. So the other the other movie I put on here was a uh, Cleo from Five to Seven, which has two stairwells that are both goods, and I gave it an A minus because neither of the, only one of the scenes. One scene has a better stairwell that is used to less effect, um, but one of the very first scenes in the movie has a good stairwell that is used to great effect, and so I gave it an A-. I was like, okay, 
we you know just a, a few tweaks here and there and we're at like some really great like you know top flight stairwells uh no pun intended you're making a lot of puns on this episode. I didn't mean to. Neither <laughs> of those I meant to. I'm not usually this person. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely believe you. Um... <laughs> anyway, I seeing here that you've put Pale Flower in the, the stairwells grade um, mm-hmm. sheet here. Uh, does so the one thing I did instead of watching a movie is I thought a lot about Yakuza movies which is you know if you're new here my favorite genre mm-hmm. um, and I was just like what if I made like a nice concise like short like here's a good intro to Yakuza movies like here's some movies that I could bring to ornate stairwells um, and I ended up with like eight <laughs> 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 um, but Pale Flower is definitely on there it's like it's one of the the big ones for me. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll see if uh, maybe maybe I'll end up doing this. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd like I did the math, and if I started doing it with my next pick, uh, I think I would start intruding into our October plans for like <laughs> Halloween movies. But it's it's okay. I I still might do this. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Something to look forward to, friends. <laughs> Also, I have no idea whether or not I can get Morino Ishimatsu, but I'm going to, like, try and hunt it down. Um, great fucking movie. Um, very gay. Speaking of great mo- fucking movies that are very gay, do we want to talk about <laughs> Rebels of the Neon God? Yes. Let's 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 do this. <laughs> um, also, you, like, you literal... So the... I feel like in the U.S. you basically always see this as Rebels of the Neon God, but the the Chinese name literally translates to Teenage Neja, um, which is, so like Neja is a Taoist deity or kind of like a Chinese folk deity um, who uh, just gets translated throughout, at least the, the version that we saw, the subtitles just always translated it as Neon God. Um, but yeah, I've, we can maybe talk about the movie first and then I can talk about this God and how it relates to some degree. <laughs> um, this movie's going to be difficult to summarize, but I could take a swing at it or you could take a swing at it. Do you have a preference? Um, I mean, I can try, especially cause I, I've seen this twice now. So maybe this is, I've like a little, this is the most, <laughs> us movie i think we've done on the podcast so far because um it it is narrative light but um still very good (laughs) yes (laughs) um like honestly an an amazing film um Mm -hmm. i don't know if this is still true like one of the things that i think part of it was because for a long time um there just weren't that many ratings, but at least for a while on Rotten Tomatoes, it had a hundred percent because it's just, it's a fucking good movie. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that Rotten Tomatoes is a good site, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, so rebels of the neon God is a 1992 Taiwanese, uh, film that is written, directed by Tsai Ming Liang. Uh, it is his directorial debut, although he had done like theater and television, I think before this. So like, take that with a grain of salt he he had directed things this is just his first like film that he directed um still truly like impressive for his first film yeah for real um 
And essentially the the plot, like, I, I think the best way to explain it is that there are, it kind of starts out with two parallel storylines that become entwined as it goes on. Uh, so one of them is these, like, two boys who we meet at the very beginning, uh, Atse and Aping. And, you know, our our introduction to them is them smoking in a phone booth and then stealing coins from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like this kind of sums them up to some degree. They basically just run around smoking and just, like, hanging out and being guys, you know... Uh, dudes just being dudes and uh, stealing things and then also hanging out with this girl, Akwe, um, who I think starts out as like basically doing a one night stand with Atze's brother um, and they like meet in the apartment, which floods all the time. Um, mm-hmm. It's just a thing about this apartment. Um, and then the, the other parallel thing is this uh, like young man named Sao Kang, who is attending a cram, uh, cram school to like try and get into university, I think. Um, so he's like doing studies for the, the entrance exams, basically, and living with his parents um, and basically drops out of the cram school and... Uh, ends up like stalking Atse in particular, but like Atse and Aping. Um, and I'm sure we'll have no thoughts about, you know, the only way that this makes sense. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah. And so it, a lot of it just becomes like there's Atse, Aping and Akwe hanging out and then Xiao Kang like stalking them and um, kind of following them around the, the like initial, interaction i think that really comes up is um it's literally just atse and akwe on a motorcycle um and they're in front of the taxi cab that uh xiao kang's father drives um and there's like a little altercation and atse intentionally breaks the side mirror of the the taxi cab um and so then basically uh Xiao Kang follows them around for a while and then like extremely vandalizes the motorcycle um, in some, again, like charge for doing a homosexual reading ways, Mm -hmm. Uh, most notably writes AIDS in large spray paint across the motorcycle. um, In addition to just like, you know, destroying the tires and like putting super glue in the um, gas tank and everything. Um, and then there's just lots of scenes of people at hotel rooms uh, throughout this. There's this like kind of romance going on between uh, Atse and the girl Akwe. Um, and then towards the very end, Atse and Aping try and sell these motherboards that they stole from an arcade machine. And it turns out they're actually selling them back to the same arcade owner. Like they went to a different arcade, but he owns both. Um, and so he confronts them and uh, basically his like, employees beat up Aping. Um and then Atse and Aping get a, a taxi cab, which again happens to be the cab that uh Xiao Kang's dad drives, um and goes back to the apartment uh and then Aping or Akwe shows up there. Um there's like somewhat of an embrace an embrace. I'm sure we'll have no thoughts about 
the homosexual undertones throughout all of these scenes <laughs> <laughs> and then uh ends with Xiao Kang going to this phone like dating service and not answering any of the calls and then just leaving um mm-hmm. so yeah that like that literally is the plot that is as much of the plot as i can possibly explain <laughs> this is, so this is really a hour. lot of it is just people hanging out um and like weird tensions between people. This movie is about an hour and forty-five minutes. Um, mm-hmm. I would guess that there is a line of dialogue, roughly every three minutes on average. Like it is such a like quiet, understated film about people being moody and like sitting around smoking and like not talking to each other or being alone. Um, and like, yeah, it, like there are, there are scenes of dialogue that stand out because of how much people are actually talking to each other. Like the part where they're hanging out at the bar and they do the drinking game of like, can you separate these two cups to get the money out of it? Um, and there's just like, compared to most of the movie, there's just like a lot of people actually talking to each other there yeah. in a way that rarely happens. Like there's that. And then like the scenes immediately before it and after it are like, you know, um, like the scene before it, I think is like people just quietly sitting at an arcade and like being next to each other while just like mm-hmm. playing video games and not talking. And then the scene after it is like puking in a back alley and passing out and no one says anything other than like, Hey, get up, you know, like, yeah. Um, it's such a quiet movie and it's, it's so good because like, so much of it relies on like what you the viewer are bringing to it i think um because like there are ways to do movies where people aren't talking to each other but you're learning a lot about their interior lives um this movie puts you at a real distance i think where you see people thinking about things or feeling things but there's no verbalizing of it and there's not it, it, it the actors do a really good job of like not you're not really sure what he's thinking what you know this person is going through only that they are going through something you know um yeah it fucking rules <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think like one of the biggest things when i i watched this film um that like really stands out to me is the way that like I I like a lot of Yakuza films in general because I think there's like a great degree of this like inability of people to communicate with each other and it often being homoerotically tinged mm-hmm. um, in a way that just like really resonates with with parts of my life uh, especially parts of my past but um I like appreciate it far more now than I did then. (laughs) Um, But I I think also like a lot of it, and I especially love some of the more modern Yakuza stuff where I think they like draw this out even more. Like again, my favorite film is Sonatine, I think. And Sonatine is also extremely like, here are a bunch of people just like existing in a space. Um, And Sonatine handles it a lot a lot of it differently than I think rebels of the neon God does. But I think there's a a very similar sense of just like 
there's this like aimlessness and like sense of being displaced and um like just like this ennui of like modern existence where you're just like I feel like I cannot connect with the people around me um even the people who I like seem to desperately want to have some sort of connection with um mm-hmm. and there yeah it's just it like feel it just hits me particularly hard when I watch movies like this um in a way that like feels very good um that mm-hmm. that feels like very true and and interesting and um uh, like I think a thing if I was going to compare rebels of the neon god and sonatine is there is like a thing that happens a lot and that I enjoy a lot in cinema which is when physical space starts to like become um like a, a lot of very traditional cinema is like clearly set up that of like they want to establish space so that you can understand the space and like see it as part of a cohesive world and these are movies that like deny that in some way mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and like i also love seven samurai which is a movie that does an incredibly good job of getting you to like fully understand how all of the the spaces in this village relate so that when there's the big final action scene, you like can fully follow what's happening. So it's not even just like, Oh, I just love it when like space is discontinuous, but, (laughs) uh, and I like all only want that, but I I think these films do it and they do it in like a particularly good way. Like there's just so many scenes that take place in hotel rooms here, which one like makes sense if your apartment is constantly flooding, but I think also projects the sense of like, most of the time when you are in hotel rooms, it's because you're in like some state of like movement or transition. It's like, I am on vacation and I'm here for a week or Mm -hmm. like, you know, there's something going on at home where I have to leave and go to like a hotel or, um, you know, a lot of them too also have this vibe of, it's not like the hotel room where you're like, you know, on vacation, you're hanging out there for a, an entire week. It really is the like, the plane landed and I have to like sleep and I'm sleeping at the like hotel that's at the airport before my like transfer to the next plane in the morning (laughs) is like sometimes the, the vibe of these. Um, and so I think it, it gives the sense of like, even though these people technically have homes, they feel kind of displaced from like having any sense of home because so often we just see them in like, even the arcades feel like a place where you're like trying to just buy time to not be, somewhere that like you should be um Mm -hmm. and so we see so much of like all of that and then i think that also like gets further emphasized of this is set in taipei in 1992 and this film was shot and that was a time of like extreme um modernization and like globalization that was happening and so so many of the shots of the city is a city like under construction that it is like rapidly growing and that that growth is the state of transition where like everything is like constantly slightly deteriorated because it's like currently being built into something else um and so all of this just feels so like aimless and there is no like everything just feels like this movie to me feels like the part where you've like packed all of your belongings into boxes because you're about to move to another apartment and you're just like I don't have a home right now. I have boxes. (laughs) 
and I'm not like homeless, but I also don't have a home in this moment. Um, like I don't have a space that is like genuinely like this is the comfortable home that's mine. Um, and all these characters feel like they're occupying that occupying that space to me. Um, I think it's like one of the dominating things that comes through whenever I watch this movie, which again has been twice, but <laughs> it's a great movie. It's a fucking great movie. The other thing about the hotels is that they do. They do so much good work with, like, um, Atze is, um, will be in a hotel room, and then you'll cut to, uh, Sao Kang in an identical hotel room, um, and it is, like, briefly confusing about, like, wait, who is where? Um, yeah. And, like... Another, another moment that comes up, too, is there's a moment where... Atze is laying in his bed mm-hmm, and masturbating, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then it cuts to uh, Akwe in like Atze's brother's bed, but they have the same bedspread, and so it's like very confusing. Of like, wait, when did this girl get here? Or like, is he just envisioning the girl? Is he like having a like this is the girl that he's imagining? And then it becomes clear that like, oh no, this is another room in the same apartment. She's there. Mm-hmm. Um. We never actually see Atze's brother's face, but he's just like we he's we said a lot of scene. this fucking guy, but yeah, he's the most <laughs> this fucking guy because he's just like, hey, hey, make sure you lock when you leave. Here's my business card. If your friends need to buy any cars, yeah. <laughs> and it's just like fuck off, man. Here's <laughs> your business card. Oh, uh, <laughs> this fucking guy. Um. Yeah, I don't I don't think this movie is like formally very flashy. Like I think most of like what it's doing I think formally it's very interesting. I just don't think it's very flashy because I think most of yeah. what it's doing is like let's, you know, let this actor do their job. Um let's let this person like kind of emote um and do long takes and you know that that sort of stuff um and so like i i don't think of like editing and like the stuff that really is like eye catching in that sort of way um is like the, what this movie is doing all the time but the handful of moments it does do that are just so good and yeah it's totally to like makes like make space be an emotional thing rather than like a physical thing um, yeah and it it's so fucking good <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I... so like what were you gonna say? Because I was gonna, I was gonna kind of divert a little bit into something else. So if you were gonna say something that tied into what I was saying, like go for it. Yeah, I mean, so the the thing that I just went to like, I I just figured that I would I would pull out. So I of course did my thing where I look up uh, abstracts to papers, and there's not a lot of papers about this movie, at least in in English that I could find. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Uh, there are two. So the other thing is that neither of these are particularly funny, but both of them sound interesting. Um, I would like to read the like actual full papers here. Uh, so again, if anyone has a institutional hookup and wants to send them to me, you know where to find me. Uh, but anyway, 
One of them is called Anywhere But Here, the postcolonial city in Siming uh, Liang's Taipei trilogy. Um, so Rebels of the Neon God comes out, um, it's his first film, and then there are two other ones that are also set in Taipei and are often like considered part of this trilogy, um, which I think is in the sense of like, like there's also like the Danzig trilogy by Gunter Grass, and it's not like a trilogy in the sense of like, these are all interconnected films but Mm -hmm. rather these are all films that are like set in the same city and dealing with similar themes um or in the the case of the danzig trilogy books um so first is rebels of the neon god and then there's viva la amor in 1994 and then the river in 1995 um and so this is about all three of them but they the abstract here says uh, this chapter considers questions of cinematic space in a seemingly deterritorialized contemporary Taiwan cinema. Um, you know, says focuses on these three films as figured in these extraordinary films. Taipei is a city devoid of historical uh, specification or specificities and depleted of spatial immediacy, often described as counterdramatic or anti-melodramatic size films cinematize the impossibility of the now, which best characterizes the post-colonial conditions of Taiwan. Compared also with the retrospective narrative forms of Wong Tong's films discussed in a previous chapter in this book, um, this particular ahistoricity uh, of size cinematic representation of Taipei begins to gesture towards some possible way of understanding the impact of globalization and Taiwan's cultural landscape near the end of the 20th century. Um, and I'm just like somewhat pointing to this because, one, I'm sure that this essay knows a lot more about what was happening in Taiwan than I can hope to do in this podcast Mm -hmm. um and so if someone's like really interested in this like feel free to seek this essay out um but the other thing here is i think it is like really pointing to something that i i have latched on here which is the fact that like this film feels so much like this is about a a space that is like currently going through this process of like entering into this like modern state of disconnection. Um, and that also includes like disconnection from its own past and like disconnection from the people around you and everything like that. Um, and that just like permeates this film so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one, I'm not going to like read the full thing here because this one doesn't have an abstract. It just like has a sample, but there's one called uh Neitzau is here structures of displacement in Tsai Ming Lang's uh, rebels of the neon God. And this one I'm just calling out specifically because I did not know this until I I read the beginning of this article in the preview. Um, Apparently, he also directed in 1995 a documentary about the AIDS crisis in Taiwan that um, was was sort of taking this view of like the gay men living in Taipei and um, not only dealing with AIDS, but also like homophobia and the other things that were were directed at them. so seems like a very interesting film that I'm probably going to like seek out. Um, I, this is the only movie I've seen from this director and I, I feel like I honestly need to see more again. I, I really almost want to see uh goodbye dragon in, which I think it would be fun to watch dragon in and then goodbye dragon in on this podcast at some point. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I kind of wanted to point to that one too, to be like, let's talk about the gay shit in this movie. Um, right. <laughs> So that's because... where I was going to go a second ago. Because, yeah. like, so, on the one hand, like, the thing I was saying earlier about, like, this, um, 
I feel like this movie allows you to bring a lot of yourself to it and project yourself into it. Um, and so, like, on the one hand, I'm like, am I just putting all this gay shit in the movie because I want it to be gay? And yeah, on the other we... hand, <laughs> there's no heterosexual explanation for why Sao Kang stalks him and writes uh, AIDS on his motorcycle. There's just no... <laughs> yeah. The, the 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 movie ends with um I'd say like trying and failing to be in love with this girl <laughs> and then cuts to Sao Kang trying to even be interested in women and failing. <laughs> yeah. And trying trying to do it in the most, like, abstracted way. Like, you were talking about, like, ways that people are disconnected from each other in this movie. Like, telephones figure so prominently in this movie. It's, like, the very literally the very first thing you see and the last thing you see, other than, like, this beautiful shot of ta uh, Taipei um, and, like, the skyline. Um, but the last thing you see is a telephone. And, like, he cannot even, in this, like totally abstracted like kind of divorced from reality kind of like um very forced thing i, I don't want to say it's divorced from reality i'm going to say it's very forced because like these women are literally being paid to be interested in him he cannot do that for himself like he cannot be interested in women under any circumstances <laughs> yeah and that's the text of the movie <laughs> like <laughs> yeah yeah, we, like, this is extremely a podcast where whenever two men in a movie look at each other, we say over Discord, oh, they fucking. <laughs> um, but, again, like, somewhat like Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, pointedly, the issue in this movie is that none of these men are fucking, and, like, maybe they really should be. Um, <laughs> like, there's a moment... Before the, here's Atze, like, really trying his best to love this this girl, um, where she comes by basically being like, hey, like, basically I love you and it fucking sucks that I love you because it seems like you don't actually have any interest in me. Um, mm -hmm. Like, we even, like, had sex, which you tweeted on Maine. I Again, didn't you tweeted that on me. <laughs> I meant to not do that. I meant to tweet it on locked as a as a joke and I tweeted it on main. Uh, sorry everybody. <laughs> but anyway, um you know, despite the fact that they like even have sex in this movie, um he then leaves to go hang out and be like disaffected at an arcade again um and then comes out uh like comes back and finds like oh she's woken up and left because I'm an asshole, basically, who, like, again, just, like, does not actually really care for her in the same way that he clearly cares for Ah-Ping when he's, like, hugging him and, like, carrying him around when he's been all beaten up um, the, by the, the, like, arcade owner employees. Uh, yeah, I'd and say, then... <laughs> I'd say um, after he has sex with a woman, miserable has to sneak mm -hmm. out, has to smoke, has to do all this stuff. I, I'd say while he is playing Street Fighter 2 and Ah-Ping is like passed out next to him at the Tetris machine, um, is so Extremely happy. Extremely happy, yeah. Delighted. 
literally his happiest moment in the whole film is Apeng being passed out next to him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely not relatable to me in undergrad in any possible way. <laughs> no, me neither. Yeah. No, definitely. I definitely. De- yeah, definitely never went to any arcades with uh, boys and just, you know. Never yeah, just. So anyway. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> never just um, threw myself all over men, um, hoping that they would notice me. You mm-hmm. know? <laughs> um, so anyway. Yeah, and and so then there's like, like there's just these moments. So one of the, again, it's just like two men looking at each other. But so when, uh, Ahwe comes and is like, "Hey, it sucks that I love you because it seems like you like, like this is one of the shittiest things that I think has ever happened to me because it seems like you don't actually care about me." Um, she's about to leave, and Ate is like, "Hey." Ah Ping was just beaten up. You should go hug him. He would really like a hug from a girl. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he's like passed out. Like Ah Ping is like passed out in Atze's bed. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ahue goes and like hugs Ah Ping. And Ah Ping just like looks over at Atze in this way of just like we we talked with Butch Cassidy and Sundance uh-huh. Kid uh-huh. about how they were both fucking the same woman so that they could like fuck each other. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the exact same dynamic is happening in the scene, except like even more just like distraught and disaffected and like just true inabilities to connect. Cause like, at least like they like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and, um, at a, like clearly have a, a, a like polycule situation that is working for them when they are at least all together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is They've not really working out. for this. Yeah. It it is not really working for, you know, Atse, Aping, and Ahwe. <laughs> he is in it is and like He is so distraught that his boyfriend has been beaten up. And he, then is it, trying so hard to just like be heterosexual. When she goes to leave and is like, I'm going to like kiss you in a not sexy kiss at all. No. And and then like hug you in this way that um, like I have a lot of queer friends. I have definitely seen this hug Uh before Uh of uh someone uh just uh uh (laughs) very, very desperately like kind of breaking down while hugging the girl because they still like don't feel anything. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um it's <laughs> it's so much. <laughs> and, and and like the other thing that just like I was really taken with throughout this movie is that it's like the movie is not about these things by which i mean it's not like it's not coming out and declaring itself as like hey this is a movie about what it's like to be gay in taipei in the 1990s it's not like you know moralizing i don't even think I think straight people could watch this and maybe not pick up on some of the things that we're we're picking <laughs> yeah. up on. I don't know how you watch. They, I don't they know would how you watch, watch a scene <laughs> where they the go AIDS to the hotel like, room. <laughs> yeah, 
they would watch the scene where they go to the the first hotel room and this girl is like drunk and also like putting her legs on them in a way that seems somewhat suggestive but also Mm. it's like drunk like it's a good thing that they don't fuck her because yes she's clearly too drunk but But she they are clearly ignoring her and Mm. both sitting and smoking and watching porn together and it's just like you so she the the porn here is representing something between you two that if you were actually interested in the heterosexual porn you were watching you would be more interested in the girl passed out behind you than both just sitting next to each other watching it for a little bit and then saying let's go to an arcade <laughs> yeah like so i'm not i want to say something and i wanted to be clear that i'm talking about like the fictional film that we're watching yeah um like she's very drunk and very horny and Mm -hmm. it is good that they don't have sex with her but it it is very clearly communicated that is kind of the thing that she wants on that moment (laughs) you know and like i she's not in a position to like actually consent to that and like you know the ways that we think about it but like that is the thing that she wants and they just don't (laughs) they just don't they just watch porn together and then go hang out somewhere else and leave her. They don't even, like, come back later. They just leave her. <laughs> yeah. And then she calls the next day being like, hey, you didn't do anything funny with me, but also let's hang out. Um, don't bring your friend Aping this time. And him and being he... like, and him being like, why? Why would I not bring my boyfriend? And she's like, are you stupid? I want to fuck you. Like, <laughs> why do you it's think so... I'm hanging out with you? It's literally the same scene as um, in Clueless when she realizes this guy she has a crush on is gay. And she's like, oh, he always wants to hang out with his friends who are guys because, ah, I see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like the other thing to just really... so. At some point, we're going to have to do the third man. Um, I'm going to like somewhat spoil a thing there, which is that the producer of the third man understood how gay that movie was. Um, And so there have been records of when filming was beginning, he literally was complaining about the script to uh, Carol Reed and Graham Greene. Um, Again, like, there's also speculation that Graham Greene w- was likely bisexual or gay. Um, so that's another like factor in here. Uh, but I was basically complaining of like, this script makes no sense. Why would this guy be so obsessed with finding um, Harry Lyme and like figuring out what happened to him unless they were fucking. <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. literally the text of that, that movie. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't know how you watch this film and be like, why is... Xiao Kang so obsessed with Atze unless it's that he wants to fuck this cool boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's... why why would he be so obsessed and then vandalize the motorcycle and specifically write AIDS across it? Mm-hmm. Unless he was like truly going through the shit of like, I really want to fuck this cool boy and I don't know what to to do with that feeling. <laughs> well, and he he um like he what am I trying to say? He tries to like 
insert himself into um atze's life in like a very like removed sort of way he's like oh well atze rides a motorcycle so i'll ride a motorcycle and atze goes to arcades so i'll go to arcades and Atsei does this, so uh, like Atsei breaks in breaks into arcades after hours to steal shit, and so I will break into the arcade after hours, and and not steal shit because like I don't actually care about money. Like the money is not the thing for me. Clearly, like it is clearly something else that he. <sighs> there was a moment in this movie where I asked you had had Sao Kang had a single line of dialogue. I think at most he's got like four lines. Yeah. Um, the two that I like really know is there's a scene at the very beginning where he like punches the window and and the window breaks and he cuts his hand. And then his mom is like cleaning it and he's like saying like, ow, that hurts. Mm-hmm. And the other one is after he's fully vandalized Atze's bike, he's like repeatedly like going in circles to pass by and then finally one time like you know like touches him and is like hey like do you need help (laughs) Mm -hmm. um i think those are the only two lines that i can and then there's like maybe a part where he talks about like i don't even remember if he actually says anything when he goes to the phone dating place Um, Mm -hmm. so there's a there's a thing i i think Okay, I genuinely cannot remember right now. I genuinely 100 million percent cannot remember right now if this was something that Nicholas Winding Refn said or if this is something that somebody said in a review. But there's a line about only God forgives that I always think about that's like, um, you could put Ryan Gosling on the set and you could close a door and like you could put the camera on the other side of the door and you could feel him emoting at the camera through like a closed door, and yeah. like uh, Sao Kang like extremely has that same quality. He is acting his ass off in this movie, and yeah, has like two lines, three lines. It's he's in fucking incredible in this movie, and yeah. does not speak. <laughs> Which, again, is, like, in my experience, the best Ryan Gosling. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, like, this is the thing of, like, whenever I think of Nicholas winning Revan, I'm just like, oh, I should just watch Rebels of the Neon God because it's just that but better. <laughs> like, Yeah, the reason that he never fucking talks in Drive is that he's better when he's not talking. And, yeah. and I enjoy Ryan Gosling talking in films. Like, I think he's good at that. But, like, the thing he's really good at is smoldering at the camera and not mm-hmm. saying anything and drive as a movie that like pivots on this. <laughs> yeah. As a, as a note, the actor who plays Xiao Kang here, uh, Lee Kang Sheng, um, is, I believe has been in every single movie that this director, um, Tsai Ming Long has, has directed, uh, which like, I think you can, you can see why, because I believe, so I think, um, that Tsai, was actually originally from Malaysia and moved to Taiwan for to like to go to film school and while going to film school like became friends with Lee Kang Sheng and was just like it would be really interesting I think to do a film about like you like literally are this person who's like 
studying for college entrance exams and like doing these things and like i want to just make a film that is about like the lives of teenagers basically um as someone who's like also freshly like <laughs> i'm going to film school right now um i i believe that's like part of how this came about i could be wrong mm-hmm. um but and like i think like that I could see how you would do that and you'd just be like, hey, like you seem to be like interesting as an actor and I want to like make this film. And then you make this film and you're just like, I'm working with this guy for all of my films. Yeah. (laughs) Because I had him say like three lines and he still is just like such a presence. Yeah. It's it's really good. (laughs) It's just really fucking good. Yeah. Um, I think this is my favorite movie we've watched for the show so far. It is yeah. It is an incredible film. Um, I wanted to to talk a little bit about Neitsa, the the god that's referenced in the title. Yeah. Um, just because I I think also like it is referenced a few times throughout this this movie. Uh, the most notable one is that the um, so Xiao Kang's mother believes that he is like a reincarnation of this god. Um, but then it also comes out like a few other times, like I think even like one time Atse and Aping reference mm-hmm. Neitsa. Mm-hmm. Um, but so uh, Neitsa is this Taoist deity. Um, and essentially like compared to a lot of other ones is almost always depicted as a child. Um, and there are lots of different versions of the like story here, but I, I'm going to like do a very quick version of it, which is, so essentially, um, Neitsa's father is this military commander named uh, Li Jing, and then his mother is Lady Yin. And uh, so most versions have like she's pregnant for three years and six months, and then gives birth to a ball of fr- uh, flesh. And uh, his father thinks that this ball of flesh is a demon and attacks it with a sword, and it splits open, and Neitsa jumps out, um, and is like a boy, not an infant. Uh, can like speak, can walk is like, you know, past toddler stage or at least at toddler stage (laughs) is like the suggestion here. Um, And basically is just like a a big brat, just this very bratty child. Um, I love this guy. (laughs) If you can't tell. (laughs) Um, And so the other big story that comes up here is there is a sea dragon um, named Ao Guang and uh, they're trying to do this like sacrifice to get rain for the crops and the the dragon is rejecting the food and wants like children to eat basically um and so Neza's friends are basically being stolen to try and like appease this dragon king and Neza continues to like foil those plans and essentially reaches this point where, like everyone is so pissed off at Neitsa and then Neitsa is just like being so pissed off about like how everybody like especially his dad is being like you need to um like do this and like why why do you not follow any orders and so does the ultimate brat move this is just an incredible um i wish that like everyone who just has the shittiest dad could actually pull this move off um dismembers himself and sends his dismembered bones to his father to repay his debt for being born and um and then is reborn (laughs) 
<laughs> um, and so then, like, the, the deity Nate says, the, like, reborn version. Uh, the part that then sucks is that eventually, um, I forget the, the other deity, but this deity uh, gives this thing to Natesa's father that, like, forces Natesa to submit to him. Um, it's, like, the shittiest part of the whole story to me. I wish that part didn't exist because all the rest of this is fucking great. <laughs> mm-hmm. what, a, what an own on your dad to dismember yourself to repay the debt of being born and then be reborn. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I think, like... Like, the dads suck so much in this movie. I think that's one of the, like, biggest things that you can draw out here. Um, There's this connection. But but I think it is also, like, pointing towards this, like, the youth in this film, like, in this film are so clearly this, like, rebellious, like, they are just doing what they want in this way that is, like, clearly not what society would want and yet is also, like understandable from like their perspective like they like this is also a movie that we haven't really touched on but that is like deeply um focused on like the class of these are incredibly poor people who are just trying to like survive and and um like continue to live and have like any sort of enjoyment in their life um in the face of like the poverty of again their their apartment just like continues to flood <laughs> is mm-hmm. like one of the the main things here and like Xiao Kang's family life is like clearly terrible um his dad just really fucking sucks i hate his dad so much um so yeah like i i think that is also a, a big thing that comes out here um and also something that you'll like see people talk about because it's so clearly like it's like signaled by the title um but I, I also just find it, like, interesting of having this story about these, like, youth hanging out in Taipei and, like, f- being disaffected and dissociating from each other and, like, dealing with these, like, queer things that are happening in their lives as well that we're drawing out. Um, and then being, like, this is like a god <laughs> mm-hmm. um, is great. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but I just no. wanted to, I wanted to talk a little bit about Nate's, uh, especially as the Taoist on this podcast. <laughs> it, it's interesting. I just, did, I didn't have anything to add to it. I'm going to send you another thing. Um, this is a link that you can click on. Okay. I'm, I'm going to my DMs. <laughs> oh, this is a fake, fake Grand Order character. She got titties. Yeah. So Nate's uh, is apparently uh, an anime girl in <laughs> Fate Grand Order. Um, <laughs> And uh, I I talked to Kim about this, um, who, you know, fan of the pod, I think. Friend Um, of the pod, honestly. Friend of the pod, yeah. Who uh, apparently is, is, you know, familiar with this character. Um, And apparently they did not put Natesa's dad in here, which is, I don't know how you do Natesa without having, like in this case, her dad show up and then be able to have her do the ultimate power move of dismember- dismembering herself to repay the debt of being born and then being reborn. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, honestly, missed, missed opportunity, fake Grand <laughs> Like, Come the fuck on. <laughs> Maybe in the next update, they'll do that. Yeah, they really need to. Um, do, we, uh... do we have other things or do we want to do questions? Uh, let's do questions. 
Okay. Um, I had Shiro's email in front of me a while back, and I I don't have it in front of me anymore, so I'm just I'm just rambling. I'm just pulling up the email here. Zhuo asks, "Hi, um, what is your ranking of movies with Clue as part of the title?" Um, I mean, I would put Clue, the Tim Curry film, uh, number one, uh, and I would put Clue Less as a close number two. Clue, the Tim Curry film, is one of the greatest movies ever made. <laughs> it's so good. It's my favorite shit in the world. Uh, do you Duke. have any? Do you have a strong feeling about Clue, Clueless, or other films with the word Clue in the title? Um, I don't actually know if I know that many movies that have Clue in the title. Like those are the <laughs> only two I can think of. Um. Yeah, it's been a while since I've watched both, so I don't feel comfortable ranking them. But and then the other thing, what is your favorite t- movie title that feels completely disjointed from the movie itself? Um. So like, mm. names for movies that do not feel connected to the movie itself. I'm. So I was trying to think of what I wanted to pick for the next thing, and I had just gone to my letterbox and sorted by things that are five stars. And so I was just glancing at this to see, like, what do I have that is like, um, you know? Yeah, I was like, I I don't know how to approach this, but this is a good approach. Let me let me also do this. Um, blowout. It is Blowout's one that is like technically true. That's what the movie's about. But it really only it feels like they only picked that as the name of the film to like pay homage to the Antonioni movie they're remaking. Because when you really think about it, Blowout is like the blown out tire isn't really what Blowout's about. Um, um, yeah. What else do we got here? Um. Uh, Twelve Angry Men. I. I, No, no, that is what that movie's about. I was gonna say, are they that angry? They're angry. Um. Yeah. What we got here? Is. Like. Is Blue Velvet really about Blue Velvet? I was just. I was (laughs) looking at Blue Velvet like. I guess that's a song that's in the film. It's not what the film's about. <laughs> yeah. I think but, it's just... I think she just sings Blue Velvet because David Lynch thought it was a nice song. Um, it's not really what the movie's about at all. Like, like Blue Velvet, to me, as a title, implies that it is about like some high society life. And like Blue Velvet, the film, is about explicitly the opposite of that. <laughs> Um, the other two big ones that, um, I can, I can see here is, so there's the blue angel, which have you seen the blue angel? I have not. Um, it's probably my favorite Marlene Dietrich. Uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure that this unlocked and, and not main, but whatever people here cannot, um, 
an energy that I'm often trying to like embody is I believe it's in the Blue Angel. There's a scene where Marlene Dietrich eats an apple with like a sharp knife. Um, and just the like absolute power of like a somewhat androgynous hot woman um, cutting an apple apart with a, like a knife where like you're like pulling the knife towards your thumb to like cut off chunks and then holding the knife with the chunk like up to your mouth and eating it. Um, just truly incredible move. And uh, I mean, it's a, a great film in general, but like that visual has been like plastered in my head and um, it's just an energy I try to embody in, in my <laughs> life. <laughs> um, but she's definitely not an angel and it's a black and white film, so it's not very blue. <laughs> um, <laughs> the other one is the taste of tea, a movie that really does not figure tea and drinking tea as like a, a significant part at all. Um, and it's a very weird film. It's a, a film that we might end up doing on this podcast at some point. Um, there are some jokes that like don't land for me. Um, it's sometimes compared to Napoleon dynamite, which I fucking hate because I hate Napoleon dynamite, like extremely. It's one of my least favorite films I've ever seen. Um, I went and saw it in the movie theater with some friends and I wanted to leave because I thought it was so stupid. Um, and they didn't. And so I literally forced myself to sleep because I didn't want to have to watch it. Um, the only way that I've ever enjoyed watching it is I did watch the entirety of it from a Hong Kong, uh, like, bootleg that my brother just, like, bought a bunch of bootleg um, Hong Kong DVDs. Or I guess China DVDs. Like, this is in Xi'an. Um, so, I guess Chinese DVDs. And, and sent to me. Um, and it was just, like like Spider-Man movies and elf. And it was just, it was a bunch of things. Um, and the subtitles for Napoleon dynamite, if you put them on was like, clearly they took the Chinese subtitles and then just like ran them through Babblefish. Um, <laughs> and so just seeing the like completely garbled, uh, subtitles come out was great. Um, that that's the only way that I'd ever watch that movie. Uh, there are two lines that stick in my head, which there's the one of I'm voting for pa Pedro. Who do you think? Um, and it came out as I'm choosing seashell picks the mulberry bush. You think? And uh -huh. the other one is there's a part where uh, he says, Hey Don, and it's translated as soup because I believe Hey Don is like, if you say Hey Don in Chinese, I think it might refer to a type of soup. <laughs> Uh, both of those are like, I still remember exactly. Um, yeah, and, but Taste of Tea, I think it, it is significantly different. Um, the, the scene with the Yakuza ghost with a poop on his head is just one of the funniest scenes in a movie that I've ever seen. So, uh. but again, that movie is not about the Taste of Tea. Um, it has a Yakuza ghost with a poop on his head. One more that I want to <laughs> shout out here. Um. Tinker, Tailor, Soldier, Spy. There are spies in that movie. I don't remember any tinkerers, tailors, or soldiers. Could be wrong. I haven't seen that movie in a couple of years. And yeah. I didn't really get it because, like, uh, whatever. I wasn't a good place with, like, my ability to watch and understand, like, movies that are quiet in the way that that movie is. But, yeah. um... I really only remember spies. No tinkers, tinkers, tailors, or soldiers. 
I guess there might be some soldiers. There yeah. are probably some soldiers. I've not um, seen that movie, so I, I cannot. I can neither confirm nor deny the present the uh, presence of tinkerers or tailors. So, we, there are a couple of stairwells in Rebels of the Neon God. I think the one that we landed on that we wanted to talk about is um, maybe not the most ornate one, but the one that feels most thematically significant to like the events of the film, which is as, as the boys are bringing um, Aqua up the stairs at this love hotel and she's like not able to even stand not able to like um you know do anything um and so it isn't the prettiest stairs uh but it felt like the most significant to the movie um, yeah so yeah they, they like you, you they like go up it and then they're trying to get a room and they're like we're all booked up um, and then they're like sitting on the stairs because again she's just like too drunk to stand, um, and the the owner's just like you you can't like sit there you're blocking it, um, and then like a couple leaves and then they're just like well let's like get their room, um, and they that's where the the scene where they watch porn on the TV happens, um, but yeah. yeah. Um, and and so I think like both the going up the stairs as well as the like being stuck on the stairs. Yes, feels yes. like it's also part of it. Yes. So something I talked about with Clueless is that like there are a lot of good scenes of like people like being at the top of stairs and being at the bottom of stairs and like trying to talk to each other. Um, I think Clueless and Rebels of the Neon God both use stairs really well as like transitory spaces as like you know um you know you're moving from one space to the next and maybe you get stuck or maybe you you know get held up with something um uh i think rebels i think that is the strength of this stairwell scene here is like yeah um stairwell is like connecting one place to another yeah even the other one that we potentially talked about is one where Xiao Kang's father is coming up the stairwells, uh, like a stairwell in the building where they live. Mm-hmm. Um, and then is like almost all the way up the stairs and goes to pull something out of his pocket and like a bunch of coins fall out. And then he like stops to like grab the money. So I also like, I feel like that's further pull- pushing towards like stairwells in this movie continue to be something where like people, it's not like, um, no regrets for a youth where we had more scenes of like people often just lingering on stairs. Mm-hmm. But this is one where like very specifically people are like moving and then become like in some way interrupted and cannot continue to like, they cannot like reach the top of the stairs. Um, and often right. we don't see them like actually move beyond it. They're kind of stuck there. And then the scene will move on. Um, yeah. Like move to another scene. The other one you just like the other really one you... hits on this movie. You just reminded me of was um like that Sao Kang like steals a bunch of money from his dad and a few days later tries to come home and like comes up the stairs and he's standing at the top of the stairwell and um like his parents are standing in the doorway of their apartment being like 
arguing about whether or not he can come in and they close the door and he's still just standing there like waiting to find out if he can come in and so he's at the top of the stairwell but it is still very much like a you know transitory sort of thing where he doesn't know am i gonna am i gonna be allowed to sleep here you know yeah um Um, so like aesthetically these are these are not remarkable stairwells but the thing i will give them credit for is that all the spaces in this movie feel like real and lived in and like um it helps that most of this movie is shot on location um and they just picked good locations i think that felt very like true Um, yeah there's always a sense of like there's a scene early on where uh it was just atse laying in his bed and like we were commenting also on just like this space just feels like genuinely messy and is shot in a way where the mess is like part of the aesthetic as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't feel like cluttered in this, like this is like detracting from the image. It is just like part of what is being displayed and it's like being, being shot well. And you, you get that sense. And so like so much of this, again, like everything looks like kind of dirty and run down in this way of one is just like signaling, I think the poverty of all of these characters and is also signaling like the, like no one I think in this film seems to really, or like the, the people in control don't seem to really care about any of these spaces. Cause they're kind of expecting them to be like torn down and replaced with a new building in a few years anyway. And so, like, why why are people going to put money into, like, maintaining these infrastructures that they're just going to tear down and, like, rebuild for the right. modern city? Um, right. And I think that comes through in, like, even just the way that, like, the stairwells look throughout this is that, you know, the, the most ornate one, I think, might be the Love Hotel. But it still has this like sense of like this is a hotel. It it, it, it and it's not like a super nice fancy hotel. It mm-hmm. is a love hotel. It is like people are coming up and down these stairs to like fuck and then leave. <laughs> right. Um, that's why this place exists. Um and then poignantly they go there and don't fuck and then leave. <laughs> <laughs> so with all that said. Hmm. What are you what are you thinking here? Cuz I I have a gut instinct but I don't want to say it. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like I'm I feel like I'm leaning in the the B range here just because like especially looking at like we gave the hunger a B. Mhm. Um and that stairwell looked really really good. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I feel like there's like a certain balance that's happening here of like these stairwells do not look as like ornate and, and aesthetic in that same way, but are being used pretty well whenever we see them. Yeah, um, I think these stairwells are being used a lot better, even if they don't look as nice. Yeah. Um, I really like the kind of unique and, and new ways that we're, we're being, you know, stairwells, <laughs> you know. Cinema is like over a hundred years old, nearly a hundred years old when this movie is made, and uh, still finding new ways to use stairwells. And so I really want to. I, I I think maybe a B plus to like, you know, even when the stairwell itself isn't beautiful, like you're doing something with it, you know? Yeah. 
Which which also it feels very like I don't want to go and give this one just like a full on A for the yeah. stairwells. I think the movie again is the best movie that we've watched so far on the podcast. It's yes. just a truly excellent movie. But I, I feel like it's also pointing towards a certain amount of like part of what's so great <clears throat> about this movie as well, I think, is the fact that it is like clearly signaling a approach to cinema that I think is like breaking from a lot of traditional cinema stuff and it's specifically breaking this way of like taking what would often by society be viewed as like ugly and um, like really paying attention to it and like giving it space to, to like be its own thing and to not try to like, I'm trying to think of like the, the best way to describe it, but like, this this is a a film I think that like very deeply loves like the people uh the common people of Taipei, um and I think the stairwells are also like reflected in that to some way to some degree of like this is a movie that is going to take a dingy stairwell in an apartment building that if you are going up it you might not think anything of it and still like give it some attention and mm-hmm. and like. Yeah, this this movie is, is like beautiful to watch and it's just incredible to watch. Um, and it's not because these are like gr- this is grand architecture. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. It's because of like how much like loving care is being put into framing these like very common spaces. Yes. Quick thing I want to note. Um, if you if you and I I. It's weird to think about anybody actually doing this, but if you were going to exportaw.io slash stairwell quality and checking out how we've rated stairwells, um, anything in the miscellaneous movies, um, like, take those grades with a grain of salt, because, like, if we watch Clueless, if we watch Cleo, uh, we will revisit those and probably re-rank them, because, like, I don't know, I gave out an A and an A-, minus like, pretty quick without even thinking about it. Um, whereas, like... These, you know, when we grade the stairwells in Rebels of the Neon God, we're really thinking about it and considering, Mm -hmm. you know. And we're doing it together and, like, collaboratively coming up with this is our our grade. Like, Pale Flower is the one that I feel like probably will not change because... No, no, that one's locked in. Yeah, we named this podcast ornate stairwells because we watched pale flower and we were just like we we saw the scene at the end with the stairwell and we were like this is what movies are about (laughs) ornate stairwells so Um, yeah that's that's not changing but um and yeah other thing like you were just saying um this is not a reflection of the quality of the film because uh rebels the Neon god is one of the best movies ever (laughs) yeah it's fucking incredible b Um, plus stairwell great movie (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> um, um what what a dumb bit. <laughs> I love it. I love our podcast. <laughs> um so I guess I should pick what movie we're watching next. Yeah. Um and I don't have a goddamned clue at all um i was i was thinking about and i'll run this by you i was thinking it might be fun to watch anime next time you have an anime podcast 
So I don't want to do. just I I don't want to just be like, "Hey, let's watch Ghost in the Shell." <laughs> <laughs> also, I, I I I don't really like the Oshi Ghost in the Shell movie, so we probably won't watch that anyway, but um People people listening to this podcast can't see this, but I'm just shaking my head. <laughs> you also can't see this. But I I'm also can't see this. <laughs> um, I do think I prefer Ghost in the Shell standalone complex over the, like, oh, she Ghost in the Shell. Um, but also a great fucking movie. I love the original Ghost in the Shell movie so much. Um but also, I'd be like, no, if we're watching that, it's for Ghost Divers. The name of the podcast is fucking Ghost Divers. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I Maybe I should... Uh, we should do anime at some point on this podcast, but I'll Well, what's I'll the anime you're it. thinking? What's the anime you're I don't thinking? know. I was literally just like, I don't know. Maybe we could watch some fucking anime. It was literally... <laughs> that was literally as far as the thought got. <laughs> um... Did not think about anything further than that. Um, okay. Stuff catching my eye. Um, is there... Is there a Lynch movie that you would want to watch? Because, um... So we were talking about how you haven't seen The Return. Um, and we're not going to watch The Return and podcast about it anytime in the near future possible that we will do that someday i just don't think it's going to happen in the near future but like yeah. it did put me in a bit of a lynch mood and so i could i could probably watch and talk about any david lynch movie except blue velvet um i've seen blue velvet too many times to where i just don't want to watch it you know yeah I th- that's I think, fair i think that is my favorite but um i think i've it's, it's the first one i saw i think i've seen it five times I love that movie to death. I fucking adore it. I don't know that I want a podcast about it. So, yeah, I feel like I feel like I'm gonna I'm gonna say Mulholland Drive if if that would be one you'd be interested in. Oh, um, yeah, yeah I remember really liking Mulholland Drive, and I haven't watched it in a while, and I would love to revisit it. I was making a list of my favorite movies ever the other day, just like a just like a quick like let's throw one together. Uh, yeah. I think Mulholland Drive was like number six on the list. Like I fucking love Mulholland. The other yeah. one I was thinking either Mulholland or Inland Empire because it's one that I haven't seen. So um, yeah, I have not seen Inland Empire either. Inland Empire is three hours, and we don't start watching movies until about eight o'clock on a good week. So maybe we should do Mulholland because it's a little shorter. It's two two hours and change, but that is less than three you know <laughs> yeah also if we do mulholland i'm gonna come in with like a read on that movie i'm gonna come in with like quotes i'm gonna come in with just like all this shit so we should do we'll do mulholland it's one of my favorite movies okay um, um and then we'll talk off mic if i'm just gonna immediately make us watch a bunch of fucking yakuza movies but <laughs> Yeah, let's fucking do it. The other, because I was, I did briefly think about Drive, but like you put that on your list of like, of like Yakuza stuff, and I was like, oh, that sounds fun. Let's let's do this Yakuza project because I would absolutely, I would love to yeah. just do a bunch of Yakuza movies. That's one of the reasons why. What like, I, well, we can fully do this off mic, but I want to like just quick say here, part of why I want to like, even though I have a list of eight movies <laughs> to do, 
um, part of why I would be like, let's do it early is just the fact that like Yakuza movies are my favorite genre and I feel like I'm going to continue to reference them. And it would be, I think it would be fun to like really take people through somewhat of a journey of like, let me explain. And also just to you, because (laughs) you watch these movies with me and I keep fucking talking about Yakuza movies to be like, you know, the the big first one is probably, I think I'm going to do the third one, but um, Red Peony Gambler of just like, this is just like, Full on Ninkyo Ega. Um, well, let's do the interesting one where it's a woman, but like otherwise, this is like extremely just the genre formula. Um, and then do some ones that I know you've seen, like Pale Flower, Tokyo Drifter, um, and mm. then Morino Ishimatsu. If we can find it again, I have to like see if I can dig this up. But God, that movie is so fucking gay. I really <laughs> like. <laughs> it's incredible. It's incredible. The the person playing the main character Ishimatsu is a drag king, and then the person playing her on his Anaki is a drag queen, but playing a male character, and then they do a fucking duet. It's the gayest fucking shit ever. <laughs> um, then uh, probably Battles Without Two, because we've talked to death about Battles Without, and Battles Without Two stands alone the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. Either Hanabi or Sonatine, just to get Kitano. Um, and then Dead or Alive 1 or 2, this is where we really need to have a conversation, because I don't know if we want to do Dead or Alive 1. It's it's an intense movie, um, but also, yeah. And then should... after all of that, do Drive. <laughs> <laughs> we should figure out at some point, and you reminded me with this Dead or, Dead or Alive, and I don't know that this is the issue with Dead or Alive, but we should talk about, like... Hey, how how much gore do we want to like do on this podcast? You know. Yeah. Um. So I it, it that is not the issue with Dead or Alive. Yes. The yes. the issue with Dead or Alive is so the one I've referenced previously on this podcast is there's a scene where like to put a little bit more context, it's two women like wrestling in a pool of quote unquote poop. I doubt it's actual poop. Um, and there's also a scene that's like gesturing towards bestiality um are like i think the two roughest ones but um yeah it, that's it is not also the... just like a high octane movie um that, that is not the issue with dead or alive but like and this is this is for for like you know a dozen reasons um a movie that like i saw and has had a huge impact on me is antichrist by lars von trier and I would love to, like, talk about that on the podcast someday and, like, unpack, like, my relationship with that movie that I haven't yeah. seen since I was, like, 17. But, like, that is very much, like, we gotta figure out, like, what is our tolerance on gore? Because there is some shit in that movie. <laughs> there are only two Lars von Trier movies I've seen that I think I, like, genuinely liked. Um, one of them was Dancer in the Dark, and I think, like... That one's a layup. 80% of that is just Bjork. Yep. <laughs> um, and then the other one is Melancholia. Um, and there's a part where I was trying to watch more Lars von Trier and I watched Breaking the Waves and I fucking hate that movie so much. And I like hate Lars von Trier now for making that movie. Like just so, very deeply. <laughs> I watched uh, Antichrist when I was 17. Um, and I got my friend to watch it. Oh my God, we've been going 90 minutes. Um, I watched. Welcome Antichrist. to podcasting with me. I I watched Antichrist when I was seventeen, and I got my friend. This is I think I've mentioned this friend to you. But I was like definitely in love with him, and also not gay. So like you know, yeah, um, I was definitely a so boy. So the movie definitely, that we watched, we watched Antichrist, or I watched Antichrist, and I was like, hey, 
you like watching the weird art house movies that I like watching, you should watch Antichrist. It's mega fucked up. And so we wa- he watched it. And then when Nymphomaniac, we definitely, when Nymphomaniac came out, we definitely did not do a date. This was not a date. Just to be clear, not a date. We went to watch Nymphomaniac together because mm-hmm. it was like, mm-hmm. oh, mm-hmm. like, it was almost like a dare. It was like, mm-hmm. oh, Antichrist was so fucked up and upsetting. And like, he's got a movie coming out called Nymphomaniac. Mm-hmm. I bet it's going to mm-hmm. be even more fucked up and upsetting. And it's just the most boring movie I've ever seen in my life. I fucking hate that movie. <laughs> <laughs> we were, we left like, I think we left like 90 minutes in and there was still time left. We were just like, this is fucking boring. Fuck this movie. <laughs> so. Um, so yeah, ne- next time. Next time, Mulholland Drive. And if you want to write into the podcast and have questions about Mulholland Drive, you can write into uh, export, export audio, audio podcast, podcast at gmail.com. Um, you can write in about any of the movies we've covered. You can write in about, um, about Mulholland. You can write in about the Gaslight Anthem song, Mulholland Drive. Um, you can write in about movies that you think we might have seen or you would like us to see or just general, like, what's your favorite mafia movie? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. You can ask us about you, whatever. You can write in and be like, so what the fuck is Neve's deal anyway? Um... <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So where can people find you? <laughs> Wait, I host this. Where do people find you? Fuck you. Um, people can find me at Garf Run Aloud um, or Fox Mamnia if you like care about anything other than me reading Garfield into a camera. Uh, fucking sickos. <laughs> um, I have another podcast on the network, uh, the Export Audio Network, which is what you're currently listening to, in case you don't know, um, called Ghost Divers. We've mentioned it previously, and it's an anime podcast. Currently, when you're listening to this, we're doing Evangelion episodes. Um, and yeah, it like I recently edited the end of Ava episode and that's a really good fucking episode. Um, also I was just like so ecstatic to be done thinking about Evangelion when I Mm -hmm. finished editing it. Um, and the same, but I think we were both very excited when we were recording it to be done thinking about Evangelion. So I'm also looking forward to when that's released and I am like truly fully done. Like we do a question bucket. I don't have to think about Evangelion again in my fucking life. Um, and then we're doing Ray Earth next with you, which we're recording currently. Yeah, I I think that not I'm not going to say every podcast need this, but there are some podcasts where you just have to have that early episode where the hosts have a fight. And then I think everything is like smooth sailing. But like export audio has had this a little bit where like we were just ready to fight each other, you know, (laughs) And sometimes you just need to get that out of your system on air <laughs> you know i um, i don't like i don't think connor and i truly really had like a we are mad at each other fight about end of eva we like referring to it that way because like we are always going to be divided on that movie um and like 
I it's also weird because we have very similar reads and it's just like comes down to like the big thing that that really happened that I realized like literally in the middle of recording the end of Ava episode is that like literally stuff that happens in that movie triggered stuff for me as someone who survived an abusive ex um, in a way that is just like I cannot like this movie because of like how it ends. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like I just literally cannot, um, mm-hmm. as someone who like escaped abuse, I can't, I can't tolerate the way that end of Ava ends. Um, and in a very different way, like the stuff that Connor has survived means that he has to find hope in that. <laughs> um, and that's mm-hmm. just like a thing that is fundamental about both of us. And so we are both just like, yeah, we're just never going to agree on this movie. Um, but we still love each other. <laughs> We still have a podcast. It's a good fucking podcast. Listen to my podcast. I know it's long. Listen to it. <laughs> and then I'm gonna be Autumn's honest. gonna be on it. Yeah, we're yeah. doing we're doing Ray Earth, which is a m- much more fun anime to talk about than fucking Evangelion. <laughs> it's 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 a blast. Uh, I'm, I'm watching. You know, um, we're doing ten episodes at a time. Um, Sorry. And I'm watching episodes <laughs> 11 through 20 right now. It's it's a lot better in the second half of season one. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. It, it's 1 a.m. You work at like 7. Um, I don't work till 2, so I'm fine. But yeah. I'm, I'm so, tired. <laughs> um, one thing I'm going to say here mm-hmm. again, which I mentioned last time, but this time, if you're listening to this in the Patreon feed, um, it is actually out now, the, the Swim Fans episode, where I talk about Sonatine, my favorite movie that I'm sure we'll do on this podcast at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can go and listen to that episode and hear me just completely... Like, even the episode description of it is uh, Neve Schoner absolutely schooled us in Yakuza film because, yeah... I I've thought about that movie a lot and also the genre a lot. So, so sorry, sim, swim lads. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I just came onto your podcast and then completely took over. Um, speaking oh. of taking over podcasts, where can people find you? Yeah, I was about to say I never did my plugs. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at the terminal underscore coffee. You can find all the podcasts I do at Export Audio. Um, so we. Uh, just today had an influx of patrons because um m and i um pe- you know m of abnormal mapping um uh and i watched a new podcast on the network called gotham city limits um we're gonna be watching like one episode of batman the animated series and talking about it for like 30 to 45 minutes every week it's a weekly podcast um our previous podcast was extremely not weekly, but this one is weekly. Um, and it's going to be just a, ch- it's going to be a chill hangout show. If you like the show that you're listening to right now, like kind of similar, just like, let's just talk about like, we just like, we're like, oh, the test tubes were really cool in that one shot. And oh, I like how they animate the Batmobile. <laughs> <laughs> um, we might jump around and do other Batman stuff. We're definitely going to be talking about um, Batman 89 and Batman Returns in the near future. So, but um, mostly an animated series podcast. And then maybe we'll figure out something else once we finish the animated series. I don't know. That's a year yeah. away. Yeah, I listened to the first episode today. It was a good episode. It's a good fucking um, episode. I would say one of the major differences is that M seems to be really good at keeping like a podcast tight and concise. Um, and I just 
I think at this point have this reputation of even when I guest on podcasts, like the podcast goes long. People like I guessed it on Hot Singles, and I'm pretty sure it's still the longest episode of Hot Singles ever. <laughs> the Hannah one might be longer, but like you and Hannah are the two most long-winded folks I know. Um, <laughs> thank, um, thank, thank you. <laughs> I mean, I adore the both of you, so. Um, anyway, until next time, Okokoro is real. Okokoro is real. <laughs> I literally got to this point and forgot that that was the sign. I'm going to stop recording now.
Thank <laughs> you.